0: Good morning. We're starting a new series this morning. It's going through the book of Lamentations. It's entitled, A Good Cry. Is there a good cry? Oh, that's right. Michael wanted me to tell you, if you're in high school, he demands that you follow him. The high school group is meeting, so if you are in high school, follow Michael. If you'd like to, <laughs> all right, Ryan, one more year. Don't worry, buddy, then you'll, then you'll be able to join us again. And Chloe, anyone else? High school, going once, going twice. Oh, there's another one. We've got another one for you. No, I'm not continuing till you're all out of here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So the question I asked you guys earlier, reasons that we cry, what were some of the reasons that you guys came up with? Relief? Relief? Relief. Release. Okay, cry for release of the things that are going on inside. Any others? Joy. Joy? That's a nice one, but we're not going to cover that in this series. (laughs) Sorrow. Sorrow. sentimental. Sentimental feelings. Okay, all right, very good. There are a lot of reasons that we cry, that we weep. And and as we go through the book of Lamentations, you know, there's a lot of things that we can talk about. I mean, here's a book that we believe was written, and these are actually five poems that were written by Jeremiah. And these are acrostic poems, and what that means is they are written basically with the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 verses... In chapter 1, uh, 2, and 4, and 5, I believe it is. And there's 66 in chapter 3. I think that's right. And what they are is every chapter, it starts with the Hebrew alphabet. And so every verse starts with, here's that letter, there's that letter, and they go through that. You know, And, and chapter 3, where there's 66, there's actually three stanzas that are, begin with the first letter, of the alphabet and so on. And so that's what it means to be acrostic. And so the information that's taking place after Babylon has laid waste to Judah and to Israel or Jerusalem, which is named Zion throughout the, the passage here. This is the backdrop. This is kind of the backstory of what's taking place. But what to me is more interesting than who wrote the book, how these poems were written. And all that information is, why did God deem for us to have this be a part of the Scriptures? I mean, you think about it, everything that God really wanted us to have and make sure that we would understand, He gave us in the Scriptures. And you think about, this really isn't that much information when you think about who God is and all that he would try and relate to us, so everything is very important that we find in here, why would he want to leave us a book of poems about weeping? Why is that so important to him, for us? And that's what I want to look at today is... Why is this book here? And what can we learn from weeping? The book Lamentations, I mean, it's the idea to lament. Originally, the book didn't have a title. They gave it a title later on because they had to call it something, and Lamentations seemed fitting because it was about this sorrow that is taking place with the events taking place in the nation of Israel. And so. If you can, open up to the book of Lamentations, chapter one. If you need a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand, Alex. will bring you one, two, a few here. And we're going to start reading, and we're going to read through chapter one, and then we're going to touch on a few of the verses here. And I want you to hear the cry that is taking place as Jeremiah, we believe, is looking over from a hill, looking at Jerusalem, seeing it. Burning, seeing it destroyed, hearing the cries of the people who are being led captive, who are being murdered, killed. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheeks, Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan. Her young women grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins, and her children have gone into exile captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from daughter Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness they have fled before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all the treasures that were hers in days of old, where her people fell into enemy hands. There was no one to help her. Her enemies looked at her and laughed at her destruction. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, and so has become unclean. All who honored her despise her, for they have all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. Look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has laid hands on all her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary, those you had forbidden to enter your assembly. All her people groan as they search for bread. They barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. Look, Lord, and consider, for I'm despised. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? From on high he sent fire, sent it down into my bones. He spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He made me desolate, faint all the day long. My sins have been bound into a yoke. By his hands they were woven together. They have been hung on my neck, and the Lord has sapped my strength. He has given me into the hands of those I cannot withstand." The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. He has summoned an army against me to crush my young men. In his winepress, the Lord has trampled virgin daughters Judah. This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has decreed for Jacob that his neighbors become his foes. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. Listen, all you people. Look on my suffering. My young men and young women have gone into exile. I called to my allies, but they betrayed me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they scratched for, searched for food to keep themselves alive see lord how distressed i am i am in torment within and in my heart i am disturbed for i have been most rebellious outside the sword's bereaves inside there is only death people have heard my groaning but there is no one to comfort me all my enemies have heard of my distress They rejoice at what you have done. May you bring the day you have announced so they may become like me. Let all the wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my sins. My groans are many and my heart is faint. And Lord, as we contemplate these words, I pray the power of emotion that was penned here would grip our own hearts as well. Father, we are familiar with sorrow. We are familiar with pain. And so are these words that we've just read. Lord, why do you have these here for us? What can we learn that will be helpful in our lives? Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. There is something that takes place within our hearts when we go through sorrow that can take place no other way. There is a a place we go to that we can't seem to get to any other way it doesn't know it doesn't matter how much you know how much information you have about a situation when someone tells you about a sorrow that they've gone through or experienced the information and the words that they relate do not connect to us unless we too have been through a time of sorrow when you hear of someone who has lost a loved one or someone very close to them. Those words might bring some anguish, but nothing like the anguish when you can connect to the fact that you too have lost someone and the experience that you've been through. Because that sorrow brings an awareness to your life that nothing else can. And so information cannot adequately express what takes place within us when we go through sorrow. There is no way we can just diagnose and observe and say, okay, I understand. It is beyond the ability to just think and comprehend. It is something that punches you in the gut and takes your breath away. It is something that leaves a scar on your soul that you bear for the rest of your life. And unless you have been through those kinds of things, those words mean nothing. But there is a purpose for the sorrow. It is there to not just cripple us. It is there to make us aware. It is there to open our understanding. And I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Because we're going to deal specifically with what's happening here in this chapter of Lamentations, which is basically going to be that of regret. Where you've done something, you realize after the fact the consequences to what you've done. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, And leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. And so Paul, when he talks to the Corinthians who were having a life that was filled with similar things that Jeremiah is writing about in Lamentations, they were involved with things that they shouldn't have been there. There was this time of regret that was taking place. And he writes to them and he says, I'm writing these things and I'm glad I caused you sorrow because it led you somewhere else. You see, the sorrow is supposed to take us someplace. And what happened in Lamentations is that they had this understanding that they were God's people. They were there. They were, to, in a sense, saw themselves as invincible. But what they didn't recognize was that the things that they were doing had consequences. And so in verse 8, back in Lamentations, it says, Jerusalem has sinned greatly. This is what has brought this calamity upon them is is what they've done. They've sinned greatly. And so has become unclean. All who honored her despise her for they have all seen her naked. She herself groans and turns away. Her filthiness clung to her skirts and her skirts is not talking about the outward skirt. It's her inward garments. This is something that is taking place inwardly. This is having to do with her heart. The filthiness clung to her. She did not consider her future. She did not consider her future. And now that the future is here and she sees the actions that she has done that brought her to this place, now there is regret. I can look back on my life and see that there are Moments in time where I did something or I said something, I behaved in a certain way, and I think of that moments and I think, oh God, if I could just take that moment back. If I wouldn't have acted this way at that time, because that was a time when I caused damage. That's a time when I brought destruction to my own life, to my own soul. Does anyone else have moments like that where they see that? Okay, five of us. We'll we'll go out to breakfast afterwards. You see, but this sorrow is one of regret, and I think that is something that we do understand, that regret when we look back, because we did not see our future. We didn't recognize that Our actions here were going to lead us here. I I didn't think that I would get the DUI. I I didn't think that this life would lead me to a a life of addiction to meth. I I didn't think that I would end up pregnant. I didn't think that I would end up in prison. I, I didn't see my future when I did this. And there is this absence that takes place so many times in our lives that took place in the nation's life where they didn't recognize that they were putting the steps for what their future would be, but they didn't recognize it. They didn't see or consider their future. And I think there's a lesson here for us to recognize how important it is to consider our future with what we're doing now. Because we are sowing our future today. How we live, the things we involve ourselves with, they are going to determine the people we will be. In every aspect. Here at Jerusalem, it was that of obvious rebellion against the things that God had instructed them to do. For us, it's the same way. And and sometimes it's just the smallest things that turn into bigger things. C.S. Lewis, I think it's in his book, The Problem of Pain, talks about the idea of hell. And what he says is, you know, if you've got a person who is sent in a direction of being just a mean and ornery person, as time goes on, they just become more of who they really are. And so if you've got a young man who's just uppity and always grouchy and just kind of a a downer, the only word I could think of. What happens when he gets to be a little bit older? He just gets to be a little bit more honry, a little bit more irritable. And then pretty soon he's the eighty year old man. Get off my grass kids. There'll be no fun around here. Bah humbug, he becomes that guy. Well what happens if that goes on for eternity? What if what you are sowing is going to be who you are indefinitely? And so C.S. Lewis paints this idea of hell. It's kind of terrifying. If you think about it, especially when you stop and you see where you are and you realize how I got here is because of the things that have happened there. And I so regret some of these things that have taken place. And Paul says that this sorrow is supposed to bring you to a place of awakening, of awareness, an understanding of connecting the dots of your life. These things have happened. This has happened because I did that and this is where I find myself. Now there's other types of sorrow I understand, but this is the one he's addressing right now. Is that of regret for the things that were done? And Paul tells us that it's a godly sorrow that brings us to a place where we can now see things more clearly and actually make a change in our lives. I find this happens at funerals, at memorial services. When we go there, everyone has this awareness of the frailty of life. There is an understanding and it doesn't seem to matter. And sometimes it's a little bit more dramatic if it was a younger person and perhaps it was an accident or something like that that caught everyone off guard as opposed to someone who was in the hospital for a while and passed away. But there's still this Overlaying understanding that we are frail, that our life has this place where we will die. And then we look back and say, what was my life about? What is the value of living? What is my purpose? And what a shame that it's at those times that we start to think, what is my purpose when we should start thinking about those things a lot sooner. We should start investing in our purpose before those times that it's too late. And it seems like those funerals and memorial services are the time where everyone gets a little wake-up call. Hey, your life is going to end. What's it about? And everyone gets a little sober and thinks about it for a few days and then it seems to pass. Sorrow can bring us to a place of awakening and understanding so that we can see where we really are and we can change what needs to change so we can get to where we need to be. And so I believe God has given us a book of weeping so that we could recognize the importance that it has in changing us if we will allow it. goes on in verse 12 of Lamentations 1. And he says, "'Is it nothing to you all who pass by? "'Look around and see, "'is any suffering like my suffering "'that was inflicted on me "'that the Lord brought on me "'in the days of his fierce anger?' Whenever something happens to us, don't you feel that way? This is the worst. You don't know what I'm going to or through. No one understands me, no one understands what I'm feeling. There are times when I'm going through something, and I mean, to me, it feels like this. Like, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how this is impacting my life. You don't know the severity of what I'm going through. And then I talk to someone, they call me up, and they're weeping, and they're saying, yeah, I'm going through something heavy. I go, what is it? You don't know what I'm going through. And I'm I'm already comparing. I'm already, go ahead, let me have it. Oh, my dog is sick. like, get out of here. I don't even want to hear from you. Can you pray for my dog? No, I'm not gonna pray for your dog. I don't care about your dog? I don't say that, but that's now you know if you call me about your dog. <laughs> and I like dogs more than cats, by the way. Uh, we compare. And we get into this place of isolation. No one knows what I'm going through. Don't you understand the feelings I have? Don't you see God is not dealing with me justly? This is, this is wrong. It hurts. He's, he's abandoned me. No one understands. And we have this feeling of being so alone. And it's so difficult. Even when my wife and I are going through something together, We are experiencing this, you know, difficulty in our lives, perhaps with our children, and we both are hurting, we still both feel alone at that time of hurting. We both get to this place where it it takes effort for us to extend ourselves even to each other. For me, it does. I, I have a hard time even praying sometimes, because I'm so just caught up in this and I'm just sitting there and she says, well, we should pray. We should pray. And I'm just like, I don't want to pray. Right now, I just want to stay here in my complaint. Don't you know what I'm feeling? Is this ever gonna end? And I get caught up in that and I get locked in that. And this happens to us so many times. And I think about the nation of Israel. Have you ever thought, This is God's people, right? God's chosen people. Have you ever thought how much time they spent in captivity for God's people? There is the Egyptians. There is the Assyrians. There's the Babylonians. There's the Persians. There's the Romans. It's like most of their life is in captivity, and they're God's people. It's kind of like stinks to be God's people, Man, these other people are out there and they're okay, but man, we're your people and we keep getting brought into captivity. There's this lesson we keep having to learn. Man, it's hard being God's people because God says, oh, you're doing good. Oh, you're doing bad. Okay, bring on the Babylonians. What? Ah, oh, God, this is terrible. Godly sorrow, though brings a place of awakening and awareness. And, and there's this recognition that it's a good thing for them. You see, they thought they were God's people. They were invincible. Remember the Red Sea. Moses parted the Red Sea. We walked on dry land. God destroyed the Egyptian army. Ah, that's us. It's like our favorite. We're the giants. Yeah, Detroit can't defeat us. That's baseball for those of you who are watching it. (laughs) They just had this feeling of invincibility. We're going to win the World Series of all the nations. We are in charge because God is with us. Felt invincible, but then there would be the wake-up call because they were trusting in the past of their fathers. They were trusting in something that was no longer present in their lives. And what God always does is deal with us. And so there was the wake-up call in Egypt. There was the wake-up call with the Assyrians. There was the wake-up call with the Babylonians, the Persians, the Romans. There's a wake-up call in our lives as well. Where God wants to hit home because God is shaping our character through the sorrow and repentance. In those times of brokenness, what are you learning? Those times of mistakes that you've made, how are you changing them? Because you're going to make other ones. I don't want you to think, oh, I have made a mistake, but I repented. I'm all good now. Uh, see you soon. Here come the Romans. (laughs) And it's a good thing to be broken and see your condition. It's a good thing to recognize that you're not where you should be and to cry over it. It's a good thing to break down and say, how did I get here? If it will open your eyes to where here is so that you can get somewhere else. And as much as we hate the sorrow, as much as it drains our life, it is actually a tool of God to steer us to life. And they're hard lessons, but they're important lessons. We need to recognize them for what they are. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights. It's also found in Hebrews Chapter 3, I thought it was chapter 1. but The Lord disciplines those He loves. And it's important for us to recognize that, that this is something that can be of value in our lives if we will allow it. It's something that can help us to move forward if we will allow it. And, And so... Here the nation finds themselves in a devastating situation. We just read it. Taking captive, and, and this was brutal. There's the wake-up call. We, we should have known this would happen. We didn't consider our future when we started behaving this way, when we uh, abandoned our God. We should have known. The wake-up call is there, and so now is the opportunity for change. And this is something that needs to take place. Tradition has it that Jeremiah was actually on a hill writing these poems overlooking Jerusalem, and the hill that they believe he was on was Golgotha, the same hill that Jesus would later be crucified on. And it brings to mind Jesus' words, also overlooking Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 23. If you want, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 37. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And here Jesus again gives us insight into what is actually happening at the time of Jeremiah. As he looks over Jerusalem and he, he, He cries out to them, You who stoned the prophets, how long I have longed to gather you, as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. What does God do when you are not willing? What can be done when we are just stubborn and set in our ways? What does it take? Sometimes what it takes is sorrow. Sometimes what it takes is weeping. Sometimes what it takes is that heartache that says, listen to me. You are not as strong as you think you are. Listen to me. The things that you are doing are causing hurt to you. Listen to me. Where you are at is because you did not consider your future. You should have seen this coming. Sometimes it's the wake-up call. But what is interesting is that we were not willing. It doesn't say God was not willing. In fact, God is willing and wants us to get to the place where we need to be. And that's why the hurt comes. That's why there's the calamity. That's why there are the wake-up calls. That's why we recognize our frailty. That's why there is weeping because it moves us to the place of understanding, of seeing, of being able to at least stop and not continue on as if we don't have a soul to continue on as if God doesn't exist if our lives are just for ourselves. It rattles us, it shakes us, it brings us to our knees and we cry out like we would never cry out before. And I don't know why things happen the way they do. I don't know why some people who are Young get cancer, and I don't know why some people who are wicked are healthy and do well. I, I don't know why these things happen, but I do know that when sorrow comes, that it's a, a tool in God's hand to work character in my life. And I hate it. I do. But I need it. And I've realized that. And so God gives us this book of poems about sorrow to let us know that he is there in the sorrow. The fact that Jesus wept when he was going to see Lazarus and he saw how broken the people were, I can't tell you how much that verse means to me. That here is God in the flesh and to know that when he sees those who are hurting and he saw how much they love them, that Jesus wept. If I did not have a God who weeps, I don't know if I could follow him. With the things I've experienced and seen and the hurt that I have had to be a part of, It comforts me to know my God doesn't say, yeah, that I'll teach you, but that he actually weeps. To have the prophet writing these things, don't you understand? To hear the plea, the cry, and to see the emotion that is there. It comforts me to know that God feels the things that I feel and that when I cry, I'm not alone. That God identifies with that and he says, I'm here and I'm going to take where you're at and take you to where you need to be as hard as it is, as difficult as it is, I am here. In fact, I'm going to write this little book, little book of poems that's all about weeping. No, you're all thinking, gee, thanks. Our sorrow is significant to God. And our God weeps. And maybe these poems are to remind us of the hurt that can come from not considering our future. Maybe these poems are here to help us understand that regret can be a tool for learning and not just a pit that we live in. That godly sorrow can bring about repentance and maybe remembering the things that we have done that have caused hurt in our life can be tools to help our lives move away from that place into some place more healthy. Psalm 137. One, it says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. What is your captivity? Are you by the rivers of Babylon looking back to Zion, to Jerusalem, to when God was prevalent and and strong and things were good in your life when you were walking the way you should be and living the way you should be. And if you see where you are now and it's not where you should be, maybe you too need to just weep and remember. Because I remember when it was how it should be. And sometimes that memory goes far back. Sometimes that was when I was a kid. Sometimes that was at this moment when I was doing well. And I remember that and I weep because I remember Zion. I remember the time when God was near. And it's okay to cry if it's not happening now. It is a tool to take you where you need to be. Let's pray. God, this isn't a fun message. It's not really a fun book. It's a book about weeping. But it's here. And I think it's a reality in our lives that we go through things that we are going to look at in this book, that we have regrets, And regret can become either a trap that holds us or an opportunity to learn a sorrow that leads us to change. Lord, may we consider our future. Wherever we're at right now, with whatever is taking place in our lives, May we consider our future. Where do we want to be? What is the relationship we want to have with you? May we recognize that what we do today and how we conduct ourselves is going to determine where we will be tomorrow. And may the sorrow... May the hurt bring us to a place of change. May we recognize that if we don't do anything different, we will stay right where we are. And if we want to change, we need to. God, you are willing. May we be willing as well to turn to you, allow the sorrow to Bring us to change. And may we look back and remember and may we look forward and have hope in what you will do. I do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.